Well, I hope you've been watching online, because if you've not, you're behind. And I'm not waiting on you. So we're moving on tonight with, uh, with uh, Galatians 5. And uh, let's back up to verse 16 and read down through, let's see, verse 23. And we're talking tonight about walking in the Spirit. We began talking about this subject matter last week, and I concentrated on love. And tonight we'll be concentrating on joy. And uh, walking in the Spirit, part two, choosing and cultivating joy. And I'll go ahead and give you some points tonight. There's joy in salvation. There's joy in service. And there's even joy in suffering. We're going to look at those points uh, this evening. And uh, as you know, as we've been going through uh, Galatians, taking a passage at, a time, at one time, but tonight we're going to do something a little different and bring in some other passages related to uh, joy. So uh, find 1 Peter chapter 1 also, and Philippians 1. And James 1. In Genesis 1 and Exodus 1. Okay, verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you're not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Uh, Paul Figpen, writing in Discipleship Journal, uh, recounts an instance when he came home from a long day at work and walked into the kitchen... And the kitchen was an absolute wreck. I mean, he says it was a wreck from one end to the other. His tiny little daughter uh, had been in there trying her hand at cooking. And uh, he says, I was not happy with the situation. But then as I looked a little more closely at the mess... I spied a tiny note on the table, clumsily written and smeared with chocolate fingerprints. The message was short. I'm making something for you, Daddy. 
and it was signed, your angel. <laughs> now, what about his anger? It went, it went away. Exactly. Went away. And he said, you know, the same is true of my joy in the Lord. Many times life looks rather messy. I can't find much to be happy about in my circumstances. Nevertheless, if I look hard enough, I can usually see the Lord behind it all, or at least working through it all, making something for me. You know, there's something we all do, whether we're little babies, senior adults, anywhere in between, and doctors say it's good medicine. It relieves stress, cures headaches, fights infections, and alleviates hypertension. In fact, when we engage in this activity, there's some well-documented uh, physical effects, many of them akin to modern exercise, actually. Muscles in the abdomen, chest, shoulders, elsewhere contract, heart rate and blood pressure increase. In one burst of this activity, the pulse can double from 60 to 120. Systolic blood pressure can shoot from a normal 120 to 200. Once we stop this activity, heartbeat and blood pressure also dip below normal, which is a sign of reduced stress. What is this physiological uh, activity? Laughter. Laughter, exactly. I always heard it exercises the innards. <laughs> exercises the innards? Okay. <laughs> What's Proverbs 17.22 say about it? says a merry heart does good like a medicine but you know you know you don't always feel like laughing usually the reason we laugh because we're happy but we're not always happy uh, but you know there's something that goes a lot deeper than happiness what is it joy, joy. and what's the difference between the two okay Happiness is fleeting, usually depending on outward circumstances. Joy is something down deeper in the heart, right? Exactly. You know, it's, it's unfortunate that the world has, through the centuries, oftentimes caricatured Christians, particularly at certain periods, as being very dark and gloomy and unhappy. Uh, there for a period of time, and it's, it's sad because they were deeply joyous and godly people, but the Puritans, the Puritans were viewed in a negative way. Somebody once gave the definition of a Puritan as being a person who suffers from the overwhelming dread that somewhere, sometime, somehow, somebody might be enjoying himself. <laughs> C.S. Lewis said, joy is the serious business of heaven. Billy Sunday said, if you don't have any joy in your religion, then there's a leak somewhere in your Christianity. 450 times in the Bible, we're told to be joyful and to rejoice. And the Bible says in his presence, there's what? Fullness of joy. And we want to see tonight where true, lasting joy comes from. 
Uh, now, I want to remind you what I went over last week. Again, if you watched the video, when we talk about the ninefold fruit of the Spirit, it's not something we work up on our own. The fruit of the Spirit is not natural, it's supernatural. And as we abide in Christ and Christ in us and we walk in the Spirit, He produces the ninefold fruit of the Spirit in us and through us. Now, when we think about joy, where does it come from? Why is it to be seen in the Christian? First of all, I want you to write down tonight, there is joy in salvation. There is joy in salvation. And if you will, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Gavin, that's in the New Testament. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> she was pointing. Okay, good. First Peter chapter 1. At the beginning of the letter, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So what salvation mean? It means you've been chosen by God. Verse 1. You've been chosen to be a part of God's forever family. Now if that if that doesn't leave you with joy down deep inside, there's nothing that will. I think of where John's gospel says that Jesus is the light of the world. And so if you're in Jesus, you're able to walk in his light. It's a privilege and a joy to be a member of God's household. John's gospel also says that Jesus is the living water and the bread of life. And so as part of God's family, you have a heavenly father who desires to feed you heavenly things. You don't have spiritual hunger or thirst that goes unmet. That sufficiency is found in Christ. And again, Peter says you've been chosen. God has set his affections on you and caused you to be adopted into his family. You're his child. He goes on to say here in verse 3 that you've been born again to a living hope. You're not without hope anymore. You have a living hope. A living hope that nothing can kill because it is grounded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who died, was buried, was raised, never to die again. And so not even death can take away the hope you have in Christ because Christ has defeated death. And remember what Paul said, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? And then Peter in verse 4 looks forward to that great inheritance that God has waiting for you. 
That's a part of our salvation, the consummation of it. Again, folks, what am I saying? Just thinking about what God has done for us and in us, what God has waiting for us. That ought to put a joy in your heart regardless of what your circumstances are. And this inheritance, Peter says, is imperishable and undefiled. You know, an earthly inheritance can become perishable, right? For one thing, robbers can, can steal it, but not so with your heavenly inheritance. An earthly inheritance can become defiled. Something can happen. People can take an earthly inheritance and then also they start using it for bad things that ends up destroying their lives. It becomes defiled in a sense. Again, not so with a heavenly inheritance. An earthly inheritance can fade away. Earthly things lose their glitter. We put hope in them and then they end up disappointing us. But Peter says we have a heavenly inheritance that will never fade. It'll be just as glorious after we're in heaven 10,000 years as the day we get there. Amen? Amen? And so Peter is talking about something here that's happened to us from eternity past to eternity future. According to his election, his foreknowledge, he chose you, you're saved all the way into eternity future. You're safe and secure in his hands. And so again, just thinking about that, there ought to be joy. It's God's doing. You know, in 1937, the Golden Gate Bridge was completed. In 1937, it cost $77 million. It was built in two stages. During the first stage, 23 men fell to their death. And the work came to a screeching halt as everybody was afraid for their life. Finally, somebody came up with the idea, we need a net. They constructed a $100,000 net at the time, 1937. And wherever the men were on the bridge, the net would kind of move along with them under, underneath. It was the largest net ever built at that time. And so when phase two began, 10 men fell from the bridge, but their lives were saved because they fell into the net. Thank God when we got saved, we fell into God's net, right? And in God's net, there's eternal care. Once you're in, you don't get out. It's God's net of security. And that's what Peter is describing here. And so a Christian has every reason to be filled with joy. There's two words in the Greek that are very, very close. One is grace, charis, and then the other is joy, kara. Come from the same root word. Grace is the root of our salvation. Joy is the fruit of our salvation. And think about what salvation brings to us. And here again, we're going to turn the pages all the way back to the book of Psalms. What salvation brings. Listen to what David says in Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. 
who forgives all your sins. I'm in verse 3 of Psalm 103. Forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He'll not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. David is filled with joy here. And he's just breaking out in praise and adoration and worship of God because of what salvation brings us. I mean, think about it. He pardons us of all of our iniquities, forgives all of our sins. There's no sin that is beyond his cleansing power. He heals all your diseases, he says. This is one that's not fulfilled yet, but it will be. Revelation 21, there'll be no disease. There'll be no death. He's making all things new. He redeems your life from the pit. That was the Old Testament way of speaking about hell. Jesus said of hell, it's a place the worm dieth not and spare nothing to avoid it. It's a place of everlasting torment for those who do not know God. But guess what? In salvation, you've been spared from that. Instead of the hell that you do deserve, in Christ you get to heaven that you don't deserve. He crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. God set his affection on you. He watches over your life with loving kindness. David goes on to mention 11 more things that God does for his children. Folks, that's what salvation brings to us. So you know what? When you find yourself lacking joy, turn to Psalm 103 and just refresh your memory on what all it is God has done for you in saving you and what he's brought into your life. Spend some time reflecting on that. There's joy in salvation. But you know, there's not just joy in salvation. There's joy in service. You go back to that first Peter passage again. First Peter. And we see there he's talking about service through sanctification there in verse 2. You know, sanctification is used different ways in the Bible. And here Peter is connecting sanctification and obedience together. And what he's talking about is our service to the Lord. Salvation isn't something that we're just to soak in and roll around in it and keep it for ourselves and not do anything with it. Salvation brings responsibility. We're to be vessels of the Lord in this world. I think one of the reasons more Christians aren't enjoying, they don't have the joy of the Lord in their lives, 
is because they're not serving. They're not doing anything for Christ. There's no joy in service. You know, that's why uh, you look at people who are serving. You talk to a Sunday school teacher and they say, you know what, I get the far bigger blessing out of my class from teaching than, than my students do. What are they expressing? A joy that comes from serving. Charles Spurgeon said, I can't be happy. I can't be joyful down deep inside unless I'm serving the Lord in some capacity and in some way. That's the way a Christian ought to be. And then there's, there's also service through sharing. You know, if you were to turn over and read 1 John chapter 1, you know, John says there we're writing to you uh, and we want to tell you about what we've seen with our own eyes, we've heard with our own ears, and we've handled with our own hands concerning the one who is life, Jesus. And we are sharing these things with you. We are proclaiming all of these, these things to you. What's John say about it? Why does he say they're, they're sharing that? He says, we're sharing all this with you about what we know about Jesus, what we've experienced. Because we want your joy to be complete with ours. We want you to have a full abundance of joy, even as we have joy in the Lord in what we're telling you. Folks, just think about that. Joy in sharing. Joy in serving. And one of the ways we serve is, is sharing the good news. Right? Every graduation season, we just came through one not too awfully long ago. You have the graduates with their caps and gowns and proud parents around and grandparents and they got their phones out, their camera phones, and they're as happy as a lark for their graduates. Why are they so happy? Graduate ought to be happy. Why are they happy? Well, they've invested so much themselves in the graduate. They're proud of them. They're happy for them. They're joyful for them. It ought to be the same way in the Christian life. As we invest in others and we see what God brings about in their lives, we're just joyful seeing what God's doing in them. And maybe we've had a small part in that. You know, Paul said to the Thessalonians, for who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at His coming? For you are our glory and joy. It is so sad that in churches all across the land, there are people sitting in pews that know nothing about this joy of investing in other people and seeing what the Lord has done in those other people. They have nothing to share in in that regard. And that's sad. 
There's also service through surrender. Remember the early church in the book of Acts. They were harassed, hounded, hated, hunted down. Yet you read through the book of Acts, and what is it that characterized the early church? Joy. Here's Paul and Silas in prison at Philippi at midnight. They're singing. They're singing praises to God. How could that be? Because they're surrendered. They're joyful. They know they're right in the center of God's will, even if they're in prison. Too many Christians don't have joy because they're still trying to figure out who they're going to be or who they're going to live for, and they're holding on to their, their lives too tightly. You know, life is all about me. And they're holding on to life like that. There's no surrender. <clears throat> One of the most joyful Christians, according to all accounts, was the founder of the Salvation Army, William Booth. Somebody once asked him, Dr. Booth, would you please tell us the secret of your great joy? And Booth said, it's very simple. I never say no to the Lord. <laughs> That was his answer. Surrender. <clears throat> well, thirdly, we can say there's joy in suffering. James 1. James says in verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Amazingly, he's saying there can be joy in trials. We've got to go into trials with that kind of mindset. Consider. It was a mathematical term back then. Add it all up. Consider. Analyze this. Your trials. Consider them all joy. They come to us in various ways, he says. And we're, we're going to, we're going to face trials. We're going to fall into them, as one translation says. And, and they come in all different shapes and sizes. And the word he uses of stumbling into them, same as the parable of the Good Samaritan, the guy who fell among thieves and robbers. That's how trials are. They come on us unexpectedly. And James says, though, when you encounter them, use some Christian bookkeeping. Bookkeeping of the man of the world despises them, but in Christian bookkeeping... He says, consider all joy. Why? Because the trial is fun? No. But you can consider it all joy because you know what God is doing in you through that trial to make you more complete in the long run. And so that's why we're to consider even suffering like trials. Joyful a joyful aspect to them. They're also related to this, the suffering, 
there can be joy in bad circumstances. Remember what Paul said in Philippians 1, 12 to 18. He was under house arrest in Rome. And the Philippians wrote to him, they were all concerned about him. And what did he say to them? You remember what he said to them? Hey, don't, this, this has fallen, fallen out for the good of the gospel. I mean, I'm, I'm proclaiming the gospel in Caesar's household. These guards are chained to me. And now I've got a captive congregation. And these are some of the most powerful guys in the world. I couldn't have paid good money to have an audience like this. And Paul's telling the Philippians, don't, don't be upset for what I'm going through. It looks like bad circumstances from the way you look at it, but man, I can't believe the opportunity God's given me here in Rome at Caesar's household to proclaim the gospel. In his book, The Applause of Heaven, Max Lucado tells the story of Robert Reed, who served as a missionary to, to Portugal. Robert Reed says, I have everything that I need. Amazing, Lucado, Luke, Max Lucado says. Amazing, I thought. His hands are twisted. His feet are useless. He can't bathe himself can't feed himself, can't brush his teeth, can't comb his hair. His shirts are held together by strips of Velcro. Uh, his speech drags like a worn-out cassette player. He says, you know, Robert has a terrible case, a cerebral, cerebral palsy. The disease keeps him from driving a car, riding a bike, going for a walk, but it didn't keep him from graduating from high school or attending Abilene Christian University from which he graduated with a degree in Latin. It didn't keep him from teaching at a St. Louis junior college or from venturing overseas on five mission trips. And it didn't prevent him from becoming a full-time missionary in Portugal. He moved to Lisbon alone in 72. He rented a hotel room, began studying Portuguese. He found a restaurant owner who would feed him after the rush hour and a tutor who would instruct him in the language. Then he stationed himself daily outside in a park where he would distribute literature about Christ. Within six years, he had led 70 people to faith in Christ, one of whom became his wife, Rosa. Lucado says, I heard Robert speak recently. I watched other men carry him in his wheelchair to the platform. I watched them lay a Bible on his lap. I watched his stiff fingers try to find the right pages. And I watched people in the audience wipe tears of admiration from their faces. Robert could have asked for sympathy or pity, but he did just the opposite. He held his bent hand up in the air and boasted, I have everything I need for joy. Lucado says his shirts are held together by Velcro. 
but his life is held together by joy. There can be joy amidst suffering, whether it's trials or bad circumstances. Folks, even though the whole world may be against a Christian, a Christian is to abide in Christ, walk in the Spirit, and be overflowing with the fruit of the Spirit, one of the ninefold fruit of the Spirit being that of joy. Is there a deep abiding joy in your life? Do you know that joy in your own heart? And are you serving others with it and sharing the good news of Christ because of that joy? Do you have the joy of your salvation? You may not know the joy of your salvation because you've never been saved. That'd be one possibility with people they've never experienced salvation. But even for a Christian, they can run to the end of joy of their salvation. How? Because of sin in their life. Sin in their life. Some sin that has robbed you of joy. I think of King David. You know, in Psalm, in Psalm 32, he said his joy and everything had dried up. In, verse, in, in Psalm 51, when he confessed his sin to God, he said, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. If you know you're saved, but there's no joy in your life, maybe you need to consider possibly there's some sin that has a stranglehold on your life. And until you deal with that, there's not going to be joy. Joy's not going to be unleashed. Is there joy in your service? Or are you just trying to keep everything for yourself? Somebody said, too many Christians are Dead Sea Christians. They've got all this goodness, minerals and stuff flowing into them, but there's no outlet. And so the Dead Sea becomes useless at such a heavy concentration. To drink it, to drink much of it would kill you. There's no use. And too many Christians are like that. The goodness of God is flowing in. Nothing is going out. Could that be you tonight? Could I be talking to somebody in here? What trials do you face? What circumstances? Surrender those to the Lord. Don't waste a good trial. Ask God what He wants to show you in and through it. What He wants to do doing you in and through it. <clears throat> Reflect on what He might be wanting to do in and through it. And when you think about that, what, he, what He's wanting to produce, there can be joy. Again, you're not happy over, over the circumstance itself, but you can consider it all joy, knowing what God can do from it. The fruit of the Spirit is joy joy
Anything else in closing? Anybody? We need to remember that during this time. We sure do, don't we? <clears throat> yeah. When we studied this in one of, one of our ladies' Bible studies, they, they mentioned how, how this is arranged in here. Mm -hmm. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, and then all the others. And then the ending one is self-control. Yeah. And they mentioned that if you have love and self-control, all these in the middle are easier to handle. Sure, absolutely. You know, I've had, talking about recently and what we're going through now, I've had people tell me, say, Pastor, I'm so disappointed what I read by Christians, by Christians all over on social media. Because they say, you know what? I don't see any difference between Christians on social media and non-Christians on social media. And that's a shame. Our testimony ought to be better. It's a shame that if someone disagrees with you, you feel it. I mean, you feel like you're hated if you don't agree with someone. Right. Oh, yeah. Churches today need to memorize verses 22 and 23 here at all times. If you say, I know what you see because when we sat in the choir, <laughs> you look out in the sky. I'm going to say something. I'm going to say, I count the people and I get to look, look over the crowd. Uh -huh. And sometimes our, our, our people look about as sad as you can possibly say. Like saying, that poor preacher up there preaching, he's hard up, so do something to make me happy. Yeah. Don't listen. You know, just bless me as a church as you can. Yeah. It's not good, though, to look. I wouldn't be in your shoes to look out over the crowd. You probably hear all kinds of stories from your son, too, don't you? We were at a restaurant last week. And the, it's called the Lighthouse Bakery. And it has a, a cross in the front. And it has Bible verses on the wall next to the cash register. And the owner works the cash register. And is probably the grouchiest person I've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we, we went online to look at the menu to see what we were going to order. And all the comments were, if this is what Christ is about, I want no part of it. Oh, wow. And I was thinking, I wonder if he reads his Facebook page. Oh, wow. Because that's the... And I was, you know, how, how nice and pleasant I could be. I was as nice as possible, and he was still grouchy with me. I was like, man, you, you got some work to do. Yeah. Yeah. Something else. A lighthouse. 
the lighthouse. <laughs> well, that's why I don't put a sign on my car. <laughs> Just in case I do something like that. Because you heard the jokes about the policeman would arrest this woman because he said, well, I saw how you were doing, and I just knew you stole that car, because it had all these Christians. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and talk about laughter. When you get old sometimes, you, you know, we got, I used to think they were terrible, older people were terrible, because they're always talking about their problems. <laughs> I, I always say to our friends, you know, if we didn't laugh about these things, we'd be crying. Yep. <laughs> well, Drew, get us started in our prayer, please, sir. Heavenly okay. Father, when I think of joy, I think of being able to come here tonight and, be, uh, and listen to your word that. Uh, but we're reminded of our salvation, we're reminded of our service, and we're reminded that what we can do for you and express that joy to others. Uh, one of the things that we have the privilege of doing is to lift up prayers for our fellow Christians, for our fellow members of this congregation especially. Maybe first of all, lift up a prayer for our pastors. They are going through a difficult time right now trying to do the right things for, for us and still uh, give us your word, give us your hope. <coughs> we just ask that you be with all of them, especially Pastor Scott tonight as we are able to, to meet together and discuss your word. We have a number of uh, situations, Lord, that we just want to lift up to you tonight. We lift up the Deese family who need your comfort and this trying time for the days ahead in their lives. We also pray for, for Ned. Uh, Ned was uh, a member of our group here on Wednesday nights, and uh, we know he's going through a very difficult time, and we just ask that you be with the doctors and nurses and all the medical people that are trying to work with him to help him uh, <coughs> combat what has happened to his body and what has happened to him lift him up to you in prayer tonight, Lord, to be with him. Uh, for the mission team in New York, we just uh, lift them up to you and pray that they're able to touch people that don't know you, Lord, and, and uh, in their mission uh, and to uh, work with the church in, in, uh, in New York and Brooklyn there and, and to uh, help it to reach out to that community. Uh, New York City is, is in very sad situation, Lord. We just think uh, that uh, ask you to be with that group as they touch people's lives in that particular situation. Uh, for Liz Rand, Lord, she has just been a constant uh, uh, member of this church, has been here for uh, so long and, and comes to service, comes to prayer service, comes to uh, everything, and we just... Uh, know that her body is very frail and we ask that you uh, be with her and be with Rodney and Marianne as they um, tend to her needs and 
and help her in any way possible, Lord. Uh, well, John Gurley, we give a praise tonight that he's out of ICU, and we hope that he's on the uh, road to recovery. Grandson of the father, as we understand it, he went through uh, a very difficult uh, surgery, and we just give you praise that, that he is doing better, and we ask that you can uh, continue to be with him and be with the Polly's as they uh, <coughs> deal with this particular situation. We'll give them the strength that they need to go through this. Um, Chuck and Sharon Monkley been through so much and we just ask for your constant presence in their lives, comfort them, give them strength in these days. Uh, Dr. Willis, uh, Lord, is going through uh, a very, very difficult transition in his life right now. Uh, please help him to deal with the grief of the passing of God, his uh, <coughs> partner for so many years. And we just ask that you comfort him in his grief and Give him strength and courage and to face the days ahead to uh, be able to come back to join with us uh, in the near future. Janelle Carroll keeps uh, having to go through different to the blood change she gives. And she, uh, again, is a very devoted member of the church here and very, uh, it's very noticeable that of her service to this church and that she does is somebody that does uh, exemplify joy in, in, in her service for you. We just ask that you uh, work with the doctors to see if they can help her in some way to where she doesn't keep having to have these blood transfusions. We uh, pray for Phil's uh, nieces and nephews who have lost their dad <coughs> and ask that you comfort that family, give them the strength for the days ahead. We just lift all of these prayers up to you, Lord, in the precious name of Jesus. Lord, in these days, help us to be a group of believers that are truly a lighthouse to a dark world. That we will abide in Christ and walk in the Spirit. And that we would bear the ninefold fruit of the Spirit. That people would say, would come here and say, if that's what Christians are like, count me in. I want to join. I want to be a part of them. I want to know that kind of love and peace and joy. So Lord, help us to walk that way. And wherever we come up short, Lord, deal with us and bring us to repentance and strengthen our faith that we might glorify you Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you and be surrendered to you and your ways and your holy wisdom. Because, Lord, we serve a perfect God, a sovereign God, an all-wise God. And so may we keep our eyes upon you and may you lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.